perfect Other days it just ain't working The good, the bad, the right, the wrong And everything in between Yo, it's crazy, amazing We can turn our hearts through the words we say Mountains crumble with every syllable Hope can live or die So speak life Good evening, everyone. Can you all hear me okay? 
We hear you fine. That is awesome. It is so great to have you back, Timmy. Uh, Thank <laughs> it was a pleasure uh, having you pop in from time to time, but it, it is definitely a blessing to have you back in full swing. And as you stated before, we have a special guest on tonight. I was reading, um, I always go to Google and I just type in uh, teacher news or I'll type in education news. And so I came across this article about a teacher in Ohio who is entering her 35th year as a teacher, um, and this will be her last year, and she is running for Congress. So I said, we have to find her and get her on and get her on the show because I would love to 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 talk to her and for her to go into more detail about what she has seen in 34 years of of teaching and where she thinks education is going and so many other things. So we're going to turn it over to Mrs. Janet Garrett and allow her to introduce herself and say anything she would like to say before we dive into these these questions that we have for tonight. Ms. Garrett? Well, thank you for having me on. I'm so grateful, Um, and I uh, hope your listeners will be uh, interested in my story. Um, Like you said, I've taught for 35 years. Um, I started out as a first-grade teacher, and I've taught uh, many years in special ed, uh, I've served as a Peace Corps volunteer. I've been uh, very active in um, my union. I've been the president of my local. I've been the on the executive council for 20 years. Um, been at the bargaining table many, many times. Um, I have seen a lot of fads come and go in education. Um, but what is happening right now is, to me, the worst thing that I have seen in my long time in education. Um, I, I think that we desperately need educational reform in this country, and there's, there's always room for improvement. But the direction that we're going right now is down, not up. So I'm very dismayed at what I see going on in education right now, um, and that uh, has really led to my running for Congress to try to be in a position to make some positive change for our children. Okay, we we are we are excited to have you. And as a fellow educator, um, I don't have nowhere near the uh, number of years of experience that you do, but I'm looking forward to hearing. Uh, what you have seen um, throughout your your tenure as an educator and some of the things that you hope to see change as we continue to move forward. So before we get started, we would like to tell everyone, if you are listening online, you do have to be a registered follower of the show in order to post comments in the chat room. If you are listening by phone, and, and by the way, when you post comments in the chat room, we we will read them um, out loud on the air, but we do not give names out uh, here on the Butterfly Evolution Show unless you would like for us to. 
if you would like to call in and say anything to Ms. Garrett, if you would like to ask her a question, if you would like to make a comment, uh, please call 818-691-7406 and then press the number one, and we will pull you into the conversation the first chance we get. Again, thank you so much for being on with us. And Ms. Ms. Garrett, my, here's my first question. Um, okay. Here's my first question to you. Um, what percentage of the school year is spent on testing in your, your district or at your school? Um, last year, I lost a full half of my instructional time to doing assessments of one kind or, an, or another. Most of them came from the state of Ohio. Some of them were from our district, the normal things that we do. Um, the problem that I see with the standardized testing is that it doesn't give the information I need as a teacher. Um, mm -hmm. At my level, which is kindergarten, I give the tests individually. So I know uh, what is being tested and how the kids did and what the information is, either if it's incomplete or if it's superfluous. Um, uh, it's I'm a teacher who is used to ending the school year with my students having really high scores in reading, writing, and math. Uh, but last year, my kids' scores were only average, and I attribute that to the fact that I lost so much instructional time. Uh, let me tell you what happened at the very end of the school year. We had uh, so much assessment dumped on us, and then it was the middle of May, and my principal walked into my classroom, dumped on my desk a big pile of assessments that came from the state of Ohio and said, you have to give these tests to your students before the end of the school year. And there went all of the rest of my instructional time. And it was heartbreaking to me because, uh, you know, it was the end of the school year, and I thought I was done, and I thought that I was going to be able to spend a little quality time with my students, enjoying each other's company, doing some fun projects, but now we had to do all these assessments. And this year it's even worse, because in the fall, the state of Ohio mandated uh, the KRA, it's the Kindergarten Readiness Assessment, which is re and it uh, requires a minimum of an hour and uh, a quarter per child, and it has to be done individually. Um, it has to be done by the end of September. Um, and I've heard, I've heard so many stories about teachers here in Ohio putting their kids in front of movies all day long just so that they can get through these tests and pull the kids over one by one by one and give them these tests. And I don't blame the teachers. I blame the state of, of Ohio Department of Education and the Ohio legislators for mandating this without any regard for whether it was appropriate for kindergarten children um, and what the negative impacts were of starting the school year this way. Um, I understand that at the upper grades, 
um, they are testing at uh, all all of the grades are having standardized testing. Um, the third grade is uh, third grade and the fifth grade are probably the worst. Um, this year in the third grade, um, they're giving the children a massive standardized test in the fall. They're giving them another one in the spring. And it's double jeopardy because if the children, uh, if a child misses passing the test, even by one point, the child has to be held back in third grade, even if all the other indicators show that the child is ready to go on to, third, to fourth grade, and even if the parents don't agree to it. Um, uh, the fifth grade, of course, has the PARC test, which is uh, an, another Pearson test, which I don't know if your listeners know that Pearson is not an American company. It's actually a British company. I did not um, know that. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's just uh, atrocious. Um, the PERC test has to be done online. The teachers don't get to see what... Um, is on the test. The parents don't get to see what's on the test. Um, from what is coming out now is that there's a lot of data mining that they're doing with these tests, um, asking the children very personal questions so that they can data mine and sell that information to companies. Um, it's, it's very disturbing. Um, it's not appropriate. It's not educating the children. In fact, it's killing uh, any love of learning that should be occurring in education today. Wow. You, I had a lot to say. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you were fine. I, I was sitting here writing as you're talking, and um, a lot of these things I can identify with um, because I'm in the classroom with you uh, every day. Well, not uh, literally, but, you know, I'm in the classroom myself. So a lot of these things that you've said, um, I've seen them. Um, I've even <laughs> had to do them. I've had to put movies on just so that I could administer um, a test that, you know, had to be done one by one. Uh-huh. And, and then, you know, I didn't have – you know, it wasn't like I had someone else in my room who could, you know, make sure that instruction was still taking place. Uh-huh. And if I wasn't hey, showing hey, movies. Ronnie, this, Ronnie, this is Tammy. Before we get too far in that, are we understanding you guys correctly saying that you have to, you, you, you have to give a test to students sometimes one by one while having the entire rest of your class present? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> yes. Is that something uh, that has recently that, started, or is that something that's oh, been like that that's, for a while? It's been like that. We've always given tests at the kindergarten level, at least. We've always given tests uh, individually because the children aren't um, equipped to do uh, pencil and paper or fill-in-the-blank um, kind of tests. So it's we've always like done it one by one. At that level, but uh, the, what's bad now is that it's just the sheer weight and volume 
of these tests. Um, and uh, what is so heartbreaking to me is the fact that we're starting uh, at such a sensitive period of time, the very yeah. beginning of kindergarten, and this is what we're doing to children. Uh, what children need is to uh, to enter the kindergarten experience and find that it's a joyful, learning, interactive environment. They shouldn't be put into a position where they're having to sit down and be quiet and, you know, watch this movie and, you know, uh, just wait your turn to be tested. You know, that's a terrible way for us to be starting kindergarten. That is true, and, and and it was like that, Tammy. I'm not sure exactly when it started, but I remember when I started in the fall of 2008, that was how it was, and I, w- I was just blown away that someone actually said that to me, and then I'm trying to figure out what to do with the other kids, and so mm-hmm. it was uh, put a movie on or it was, you know, go and copy all of these worksheets and just give them this mm-hmm. busy give them work. Give them busy work. Yes, mm-hmm. and one of the things that you, uh, one of the first things that you said, Ms. Garrett, that really struck me was that half of your instructional time was lost last mm-hmm. year due to the test. And I want to get your 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 opinion on no child left behind and now race to the top because yeah. I, uh, that was that was sure. in uh, that was in the article you had mentioned that. Um, and you even said um, no child left behind means no child left untested, and now Race to the Top has pretty much uh, done the same thing. In fact, Race to the Top, which was initiated by President Obama, mm-hmm. um, has even added more testing. And, and I don't know exactly what they're called in, um, in Ohio, but I know in Virginia uh, we have these growth assessments now. We have it, uh, Ames Web. Um, yeah. All of the all of these things driven by Pearson, who mm-hmm. I wonder if anyone working for Pearson actually knows about instruction or education, because you would, <laughs> if you did, it certainly doesn't did, appear that way. Right. <laughs> if they did, they wouldn't think that testing is education reform. What are your thoughts right. on No Child Left Behind well, and Race to the Top? Well, it's it's about profits. Mm-hmm. These tests are extremely expensive. Um, mm-hmm. I heard the other day on NPR that um, the state of Arizona paid $1 billion to uh, Pearson for the park test, which, it, you know, and, and it, it's all the, uh, you know, the prep and the test and the, t- and, the, and the grading and all of that stuff, but at $1 billion and their total budget for education in that state is two billion. And they so spent half of their budget. They gave over half of their budget to, and you know, uh, Arizona schools are are not particularly great from what I have uh, seen. Um, they could probably use to spend that money in the classroom. Um, I don't think that that's a. I, I really don't think that's a good use of money to 
to give over to all these, you know, Ames Web and and the Park Test and all of these different um, assessments, the the crawl that we're giving in in kindergarten here in Ohio. Um, it, it, and you're right, Rodney. It, it did start with uh, No Child Left Behind, which it, they use these pretty um, ways of expressing it, but really it means no child left untested. Um, and now uh, with the testing and the Common Core uh, and uh, all the race to the top as well, what we're trying yeah. to do is shove the children all into the same box at the same point in their lives, which really is not only, it's not possible to do in the first place, and it's cruel to even try to do that. I had two children in my class last year whose IQs were both 50, and to try to force those children to be on grade level at any point in their in their school career is is cruel. Uh, you know, we're going to be having these children be uh, drilled and skilled and drilled and all of that over and over and over again for things that they are just simply not ready for. And how terrible to make them feel so bad about themselves when what we should be doing is developing skills that children have, celebrating differences, instilling a love of learning, and not trying to make everyone fit into the same box at the same time. I, 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 I totally agree. But but, it, but here's the problem. Uh, uh, before before I ask you this next question, uh, Tammy, I'm pretty sure that you, that you have a lot you want to uh, throw in here. Go ahead, Tammy. I have a question. Who who decides on these tests? Because when I hear you say, uh, if this is true about Arizona spending a million dollars, you can almost bring a billion, yeah, another teacher in, and they can work. Part time, you have two teachers in class in one classroom where at least one can work part time and and be there. This, oh, yeah. I mean, who makes that you decision? Isis, you could have computers, you could have all kinds of things with that kind of money. Right, you can like solve the problem with that kind of money. Tammy, not one billion. Tammy, one billion with a B as in boy. <laughs> oh, you said one billion. Billion, billion, oh, yes, my. one billion. Oh my. We need to just get off yeah. the phone and start marching yeah. or something. Start marching. We need to be in the morning. We need to be at the at the at the uh, steps. <laughs> I mean, that's insane. It is. It is insane. Well, you know, this is what I I imagine happens. Okay. Um, politicians seem to have a very uh, low opinion of teachers. They you notice that they never ask educators what we think would help. They go to companies and ask them what they think is going to help. And what do you think is going to happen? Companies are going to say, well, buy my product. My product will solve all your problems. 
and because the testing uh, industry has just blown up to such a degree, uh, it seems like everybody's jumping on the bandwagon. Uh, more tests, more tests, more tests, and that will solve all our problems. Well, the problem is that more tests and more tests and more tests means we have less and less time to do actual instruction, and we have less money for resources in the classroom. But here's, but here's the problem. Here's the problem. We keep hearing the phrase, and and, <laughs> and this guy, tell us how many times you think you've heard this. We need to use the data to drive instruction. How many times have you heard that? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, let me tell you about this this KRA test that we've got. And we and we have been told that we need to uh, um, do data-driven instruction. Well, uh, every teacher I've ever known has used information to, um, to drive their instruction, um, but this... Uh, this data mania is not necessarily helping anything. In fact, I think it's just taking up a lot of of teacher time that could be better used. Um, Let me give you an example here. Um, This KRA test that I just got done giving to all of my kindergartners, um, all it does is ask for uh, the children to name a few random letters. Now, as a teacher, I want to know which letters do the kids know, all of them, all 52, upper and lower case letters. I want to know which ones they know and which ones they don't. I want to know which letter sounds they know and which ones they don't because that information is going to drive my instruction. Well, these tests that took up all that time didn't give me the the data that I needed in order to drive my instruction. So I had to wait until after the standardized tests were over before I could start testing these kids to find out what I actually need. And that's part of the insanity of this. Well, and, and, then, and then that leads to another problem, which is for for – People like me who are in sixth grade and in Virginia, uh, students start taking their uh, standardized tests in third grade. By the time we finish with these other assessments, it's, well, you have two days to teach the kids how to do this, Uh and then you have to move on. And then by the time you move on, now here's the test again. So there's never really time to to educate the kids. And, you know, I, I hear people saying that uh, education or, or the curriculum or the standards uh, is biased towards a particular race. And I always tell them, no, it's not. Education is about the has and the have not. If you have uh-huh. it, you will I succeed. I would agree with that. Don't have it, you will not succeed. And it's about separating the fast learners from the slow learners. If you can't learn it in 45 minutes, guess what? You're going to get left behind. Yeah. And what about the families that move around a lot and the, you know, don't come to school on a regular basis? And those, They're just going to miss that. Yeah. 
those those, those children are just lost. But that that's the type of uh, system that that we have. And, and so, again, if you're joining us, uh, we have Miss Janet Garrett on from from Oberlin, Ohio, who is retiring after 35 years of teaching and running for Congress because she really wants to see some change. She really wants to see a better uh, education system for for our kids. Um, what are some of the things your children need, Ms. Garrett, that can't be measured on a standardized test? Well, the first thing that comes to mind, a stark example, is, is when a child starts kinder, the kindergarten year. They need guidance as to how to cope with being in this new setting and with this new group of children, they need opportunities for social interaction. They need opportunities to develop their language skills. And all of it is brought uh, to a screeching halt by all of this testing. Um, so just a child's ability to uh, cope, um, ability to do problem solving, um, creativity, those are things that could never be um, measured on a standardized test. Well, then, uh, we, uh, at least in the near future, um, it doesn't seem like those things were, will, will, will be tested um, because they're so busy focused on, on other things. And um, Common Core is a big one uh, that's out there today. Um, it is uh, has Ohio adopted the Common Core standards? Yes, we have. What What are your thoughts on Common Core? <laughs> well, um, I think that the idea of uh, common curriculum across the country is probably a good idea, um, mm -hmm. just so that we could have some um, consistency if children are moving from place to place, and people do move a lot. Um, and also to bring up the areas where um, they may be lagging behind a little bit. Uh, so th I think the concept of it is a good one, but the problem is it was not made by educators, um, and it was implemented. It, it had just a terrible rollout. Um, it was uh, thrown on to the backs of the teachers and uh, the administrators and said, here, implement this now without any time to do any professional development, without any time to see where things fit together, uh, without any materials, because um, all of the textbook companies uh, didn't have materials that were even available. Um, so it's had a terrible rollout. But the worst part of the common core is all this testing because it's just like these barnacles that are attached to it. Um, so uh, in my opinion, the best thing we could do is uh, get rid of the common core, uh, go back to the drawing board, get American teachers and, and educators together and develop something that we think is good and is developmentally appropriate. There's a lot of problems 
in the common core of uh, conceptual things that are introduced at at levels that are inappropriate. Um, uh, it doesn't always include what's considered to be best practice in the field. Um, we need to incorporate everything that's considered to be best practice. Um, and that's not happening right now with the Common Core. The other problem with the Common Core is I don't think, and I think a lot of people don't realize this, the Common Core was actually um, copyrighted, which means that you can't change it. So that, uh, you know, as, as long as I've been in education, we have tried to evolve. Um, uh, you take, uh, and, and, and for me personally, every year I do a particular lesson and then I try to figure out how the following year I could do it better. Um, so we're constantly in a, uh, an evolutionary process, but the common core, uh, the, the way it's written right now, it's not supposed to change. And that's completely counterintuitive. Wow. Tammy, I want you to uh, come back in here. I, I know you're probably blown away right now, but uh, what are your thoughts on some of the things that we've touched on so far? I, I know it's wow. primarily been on testing, but what do you think, Tammy? I guess, you know, I thought I, 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 thought I understood and, and knew a little bit more, I guess, than I really do because I didn't realize that there were so many tests taking place, certainly as long as, as they have been, but I guess one of the questions I have is, since the kids are take, having to take all these tests, what happens after the test, and how how are you as a teacher able to view that test, in the, well, since you're giving it to those children individually, what's the plan after the test, I guess, and so much money is being spent, we should see some progression, we should see some change, mm-hmm. we should see better test scores and kids being more um, more ready for the next grade and so forth, whereas I'm pulling up at Sonic and I have kids who can't give me change back if, if, I, if I mess it up. You know what I'm saying? They, they can't change. Uh-huh. They, they can't change. It happens so often. So what is happening after the test that will that assist you, if at all? It does, I'm assuming it doesn't help, but what happens with the test, after the test, with the grades? How do you as a teacher get to see it, and what do you get to do with it, if anything? Um, well, I what I do with uh, the tests that I am forced to give to my students, um, I turn in my test scores, and then I go back to my classroom, and I, I teach uh, in what I consider to be a more appropriate way. I actually don't use those scores at all um, because uh, they're completely useless to me. Um, they don't test the information that, as a teacher, I need to know. So um, uh, I'm I'm always trying to reach higher and help my students to reach higher. Um, I try to teach my students to be creative problem solvers. Um, I try to teach love of learning. Um, But somehow we have to get through these tests, and uh, I try to make it as painless for them as I possibly can. But to me, 
it's a waste of time. It's a waste of time and a waste of money. And and to me, I've always felt that uh, it's not okay to waste children's time. Um, when we're giving these children these tests, we're wasting their time. Uh, when we're giving them busy work so that they can sit still while somebody else is giving getting the test, we're wasting their time. Their childhood is going on, and we should not be wasting their time in this way. You know, Ms. Garrett, it's something you said um, earlier about children, the students at a young age, such as your kindergarten students, for just, just to target on them. When I was working in North Carolina school system, um, and I don't remember who this person was, but she was there kind of doing an assessment of the school and, and kind of how we were doing. And I remember um, her saying that it takes about, and I believe it was four years for a student to recoup from one bad school year. And I can imagine, as you talk about our kindergarten kids and our fresh people who come mm-hmm. in so excited and ready for this yeah. new world, this new life, and, if, and mm-hmm. if, we, if we taint that in any way in that first year, yeah. what happens after that? How do they view school? How do mm-hmm. they view learning? How do they view their teachers? How do they view themselves as being Absolutely. able and capable of yeah. doing this? Right, and, and you hit on a really important point, and that is the children's self-esteem. When we are battering these children with these tests and making them feel bad about themselves because they feel that they can't do what they should be doing on these tests, we are damaging their self-esteem um, my husband recently went to China, and he brought me back an article, um, and the headline was uh, about two um, high school freshman boys who had committed suicide because they felt that they were under too much pressure from these tests, and they just felt that they could not perform to the level that their parents expected them to and that their teachers expected them to, and they saw their only option was to commit suicide. And I really worry that that's the direction we're going now when we're putting these children under so much pressure. We should be teaching them to love themselves and love uh, learning uh, and not putting so much pressure on them to to fit into uh, a particular um mold of somebody's idea of what they should look like at a certain age. Okay. No, I was just going to ask because I, I, I noticed that she mentioned that she goes back to her classroom and she teaches in a way that works for her, basically, and I was going to ask, have you been ridiculed by your superiors, so to speak, um, about your process or your take on your classroom <laughs> and how you do it? <laughs> oh, ma'am, I have not. Um, I uh, Last year when they implemented the new uh, evaluation system, which um, is extremely complicated, I'll say, um, I, I did get the highest rating that was on the on the rating <laughs> scale um uh no my my principals have always given me good evaluations okay okay i'm sorry 
ironically. When we talk, when we talk about the kids' self-esteem, you can imagine after what they have to go through in kindergarten and first grade and second grade, and many of them start out in kindergarten not even prepared for kindergarten. And so because of these tests, because of this just horrible school school system that we have, not just in Ohio, not just in Virginia, but all across the country, by the time I see them in sixth grade, the discipline problems have escalated because now you have sixth graders who can barely read first and second grade literature. Mm-hmm. And so their the, the self-esteem is just gone. And yeah. I know here... And they're going to be a behavior problem, it's for sure. Oh, yeah. And, and here, here in Virginia... We have what are called the. It's so funny. Ours is called SOL. That that's what our that's what our standardized test is called. SOL, standards of learning. And our kids take it in the spring every year. The only test that is every year is reading and math. Um, the other tests, uh, the science and social studies tests, they have those every so many years, and writing as well. In fact, the writing test, they, they've eliminated the fifth-grade test, and now they don't even have, they're not even tested for their writing skills until eighth grade now. But here's the problem with our, with our standardized test here in Virginia. The kids start taking the test in third grade. They can fail the test, every single test, from third grade through eighth grade, and will still be promoted to the next grade. However, when they get to high school, if they fail the test, they don't get the credit for the class. Well, what happens? They have to keep taking the test and hope to pass it because if they don't, they graduate much later than they expected or they don't graduate at all. Yeah, they end up dropping out. Exactly. And so this this whole system is just failing our kids and it's failing our teachers. Absolutely. And it is driving so many good teachers away from the profession because mm-hmm. people just can't take it. It's unbearable. Last mm-hmm. year, I knew or either met so many teachers who had enough years, years um, you know, in the profession and they could retire, and they said, it is no longer fun, mm-hmm. so I can renew it. Yeah, and that, that's true. At every place I go where teachers are gathered, I hear the same conversation, how can I get out? Yes. Um, and it's, it's really sad because uh, people usually get into education because they love kids. And we've yeah. made it such a, an unbearable profession that people are just trying to find ways to get out. And, and if you're and if you and if you're you're young like me, and you don't have enough years, people are saying, you know what? Forget this. I'm going to get an MBA and I'm going into business. Yeah, that's right. Because it because that is what our profession has come to, and it, and what drives me nuts is you always see these articles or you hear people on on TV 
well, we need to do this with the teachers. Teachers need um, more professional development, or we need to um, – I, I saw an article a few weeks ago that said Americans want a bar exam for teachers. And I'm still trying to figure out which Americans they're talking about because no one has asked me anything. But right. <laughs> it's, but, but it's the idea of, well, the kids aren't doing well. The system is bad, so it has to be the teacher's fault as to why the kids are not learning. But once again, it's coming from people who have no idea what goes on inside of our schools. They, mm-hmm. You know, it's let's blame the teachers, but how can you blame the teachers? Teachers don't write education policies. Teachers right. write lesson plans. That's what we write. We write lesson plans based mm-hmm. on what the school tells us or, or what our administrators tell us they are trying to accomplish, what what uh, our state says, well, here's the standards or here's the here's the curriculum. That's mm-hmm. what we do. We lesson plan. So if the kids are not learning, instead of having an opinion without any facts to back it up, and I'm not talking about what you read in the newspaper. I'm not talking about what you might hear at a bar actually investigate and dig into it and find out why the kids are not learning. We keep hearing... part of it, Rodney, is that it's a manufactured um, uh, failure because uh, by by most measures, American children are the highest in terms of creativity and problem solving. And that's, isn't, isn't that, shouldn't that be one of our highest goals? Or two of our highest goals? Um, so, uh, you know, it's a manufactured um, uh, bar that we're saying that, that the kids aren't getting over. Um, I don't know what, the situation is in uh, Virginia, but what is happening here in Ohio is that they rate the Ohio Department of Education rates the school districts on several different measures, and then they keep raising the bar. So even though the school districts are rising in their scores, they keep for uh, our school district, for example. Um, last year we had a B according to the rating, um, and if we had kept the rate the rating at the same level, we would have been at an A. But they raised the bar so high that now we're at a D, even though we've gone up. Um, mm. So it's a manufactured situation when they're saying that the children aren't learning. Um, and I think they're actually uh, creating uh, um, a situation where it's becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy because of all this testing. Like I said, it's taking away instructional time, so the kids actually are learning less maybe. Um, but you're not going to be able to tell it by these rating systems because it's a rigged game. Um, I had an experience uh, uh Three years ago, I had a a family that came here from China. Um, uh, The father was uh, an exchange professor at at the Oberlin College here. And um, the 
father came in for the parent conference in the fall, uh, and I gave him a six-page report on his daughter's progress, and I went through it with him in detail to explain it all to him. And when he, when I got done, he sat back and looked at me, and he said, wow, this is a detailed report. And I said, yes, it is. And he said, you're doing some amazing things with my daughter. And I said, yes, we are doing amazing things. And he said, we were so, we were so worried because we heard such terrible things about the American school system. Wow. <laughs> you're telling me some things that, that, that I haven't even seen here in, in, in Virginia, and I know that every state is different, but the the more I talk to educators a, a, around the country, the the more disgusted I get with with our federal government uh-huh. and with the state governments. Uh, Tammy, uh-huh. you want to jump in here? That's why I'm running. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope you win, and please let us. I mean, we don't live in Ohio, but please let us know anything that we could do to help you out. <laughs> What are some of the things? What are some of the things? Um, and I'm going to say, when you are in, when you make it, when you're in office, what are some <laughs> of the things you hope to be able to accomplish? Um, and how will you go about it? Because I am sure you're going to be up for a fight. But I, 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 I thank you for coming on. I, I thank Rodney for for searching and finding it. And I would just like to get as many people behind you because that's what it's going to take. It's going to you're going to yeah. need support from the outside saying, Absolutely. "Oh no, she's in and she's staying in, and this is what we want, and this is what we're going to get." And then implement that all over every state. But what are some mm-hmm. of the things you you hope to be able to do once you are in, and then how will you go about it? What's your plan? Well, I think the first thing that we have to do um, as a nation is take a step back from all of this standardized testing. I would, uh, if it was up to me, I would um, severely limit or maybe even completely eliminate standardized testing um, it's taking too much of our resources, it's taking too much of our time, and it's it's only testing, um, uh, I would say, testable items. So like Rodney asked earlier about things that can't be tested, and there's a lot that, that um, the standardized tests um, purport to test that they really can't. For example, a child who is... Uh, you know, has test anxiety, and, oh, guess what? That happens a lot. Um, I would get rid of the standardized tests. Um, I would uh, give uh, local control back until such a time as we can have some kind of a uh, national uh, uh, forum for educators to come together and make a combination of everything that is found to be best practice in education, I would have as our goals uh, to teach children creativity, problem-solving, and above all, a love of learning. 
Um, and another thing we haven't talked about at all is special education. Um, I, I spent uh, most of my career actually in special education, and I would completely do away with special education. Um, oh, you're going to do I would completely do away with it. I would um, instead, I would say, give all of the give the schools the resources they need. If a child is struggling. For whatever reason, whether it's a learning disability or poverty at home or, you know, uh, emotional upset or whatever it is, for whatever reason, if a child is, is struggling, we would give that child the help they need when they need it. We wouldn't give them all these tests and we wouldn't label them. We would just help them. Wow, mm. I think I, I think you might make some people upset. But you know what? You made me think of something. Um, I used to work with a teacher who was from Canada, and you see so many uh, parents pushing to get their children into the gifted and talented program, mm-hmm. and she and she said that that happens only in America. She said because in Canada. She said parents will not allow you to identify their children as gifted and talented because in Canada it actually uh, it, it actually is viewed as um, another form of special education because uh-huh. what they're saying is that you if you're in the gifted and talented class then you can't uh, learn in a general education setting so the parents actually run from it um, uh-huh. in Canada which I thought was interesting. And we have, we have, um, you know, all of these extras, as I would say, we have, uh, the, the ELL, um, or in here, uh, here where, where I am, uh, it's called ESOL, ESL. It, it carries so many different, um, different names. And then you have special education, you have gifted and talented, but I like mm-hmm. what you said. Um, again, I think you're going to make a lot of people upset. Um, <laughs> just, Special education is their thing, but uh-huh. I think if we, well, if we're gonna, I spent most of my gonna, career in special ed, so um, I I know what it's all about from the inside, um, and that's why I want to do away with it because I don't think that we're doing the children any service by giving them, making them go through all these tests in order to qualify, and then we label them as deficient. Um, and uh, I, I just think we should be, just give them the help. Uh, you know, I'm not suggesting that we should get rid of all of our special ed teachers. I think that all of those special ed teachers have got to be available as resources to uh, the regular teachers. I just don't want the testing and the labeling to occur. Got you. We actually have a caller online uh, who wants to uh, jump into this conversation. So we're going to pull our caller in from the 901 area code. Last four digits are 0957. Caller, you're on the air. Hey, Tammy, Rodney, how are you guys doing? This is Sherilyn. Good. Good. How are you? 
Hey, good. Hey, good. And I for, I didn't catch, I, ca- I kind of came in on the call a little bit later, but I wanted to uh, ask what's your guest, or what's her name? Sorry. Janet Garrett. Hi. So good to hear from you. Hello. I, I, um, I, I wanted to say that I agree with you that labeling drew me in because I think all of our children's education should be special. And right. the part that uh, incenses me is that, you know, we start giving them these uh, brands and tags so early they carry them with them throughout life. And even uh-huh. when they are um, Dude, they excelling carry in other areas and, of their you lives know, where they're... Adults tell me that they're learning disabled. Really? You know, yeah. how damaging is that? It is very damaging. And I think that what I'm really kind of trying to say is that there are so many adults right now who were, like I said, they had uh, other specialized areas where they were very creative and they had a lot of uh, gifts and talents that were uh, not uh, scorable, if you will, but they could use those, but they never walked uh, upright, if you will, because the stigma Uh from that first label that they had um, never gave them the confidence. Because they'd been labeled deficient. Exactly. So they they think that Family that label carries that. over into every area of their life, and they never really focus on the things that they are so good at. So I've personally experienced that with a family member who is brilliant, but mm-hmm. could not, you know, perform. Uh, had a, you know mild dyslexia and some other things, mm-hmm. and had people saying, you know, you're stupid and you can't learn and this and that, but just mm-hmm. brilliant and almost you know child prodigy in terms of piano and music and all those other things. But but just had shrank back so mm-hmm. uh, because of oh, the labels yeah. that they just could not mm-hmm. get a grasp on the other, on the other strengths that they had. Yes, and I think we should be developing strengths um, where where people are are weak, we should help them but not make them feel terrible about themselves. What happens to people who are, for example, uh, not good in math, okay? Well, you're made to feel bad about yourself all the way through school, and then when you get out, you get a job where you don't use math, right? That's what happens in life. So I'm not saying that we shouldn't teach everybody math. I think we should teach everybody math. But I'm just saying I don't think that forcing everyone to fit into the same box at the same time is doing anyone any good. I think we should be developing people's strengths. You know, there's this idea of multiple intelligences where uh, everybody knows that there are some things that they're very good at and there are some things that they're very bad at. It's normal part of the human condition. Now that I absolutely love. And this is Tammy. If I could share a quick story with you guys from that I, that I think is so important. When when Brandon was little and in, in, in um, I call it daycare, but it was really a family friend who had a in-home daycare, and she still to this day um, has this daycare, but she 
thrived on having kids with disabilities, um, just having kids that are just doesn't look alike, not the same, not not smart in the same areas. And so what this did to the kids was they just, there was this one little girl who couldn't, could not do anything, could not feed herself. She just would, would lay there and she knew all of them. They would play with her, they would laugh. But it showed these kids how to have compassion and how to accept people as they are. And they mm-hmm. loved on her. But what that did for Brandon growing up when he got out in the world, he was able to remember how special and how precious and how they had to look out for her and help her with these things and how they, in return, she just bought them joy. And Mm -hmm. so growing up, I remember taking him to the school that I worked at. Um, We were out for the summer, and he he was out, and so I was still working, and he came to to school with me because I worked in a different county, and he came, but school was still going on. And one of the little boys supposedly had a learning disability, and so what they would do is give this child less work. And my son, fifth grade, says to me, "Why, why are they giving him less work? And I said, you know, I told him later because they said he has a learning disability. And he said, well, if he has a learning disability, shouldn't he have more work so that he could learn more from the the mouths of babes? But Absolutely. that would be like on why give him less if he needs to learn if yeah. he if he has a learning disability. Mm-hmm. So it's just they have it. We as adults and the big people in the big office, they don't because they don't step into the classroom. They don't get to see the day to day. Absolutely. Well, yeah. well here's, here's uh and, and this is Rodney again. I, I mean I need to stay who I am since I'm the only guy, but um Here's what I've seen with with special ed. I've seen a number of teachers, or I've heard horror stories about how special education teachers automatically say, my children, my students can't do that. And so they don't even try to get the kids to do certain things. They they do what they have to do to generate these uh, individualized education plans, or IEPs as we call them, uh, so that way the child is pretty much crippled uh, for the duration of their time uh, in school. And um, I remember a few weeks ago we had a back-to-school night, and a parent um, asked me to, to try to, you know, get her her daughter away from relying on the calculator because that's one of the accommodations that her daughter gets because of this IEP. But she wants her daughter to be to be able to just do the math on her own right. instead mm-hmm. of relying under, on the calculator. Understand but, it conceptually and to be able to do it if she had to, right. Yeah, but that's but that's not what happens and so, you know, the kids the kids sort of when you don't believe in a kid or when you're afraid of them, anything that you feel towards them or about them, they pick up on it. They know mm-hmm. it. Absolutely. And, and they tend yeah. to respond. If you don't believe in them, guess what? You feel. <laughs> yeah. yeah. When I was teaching, I taught learning disabilities for a while, and um, I always had as my goal to bring the students up above grade level because if I could get them up above their grade level, then 
the chances are they would be taken out of uh, the special ed class and put back in the regular ed class, and they'd probably do some backsliding. Uh, but if they backslid and they were still at grade level, that was great. And it happened a few times, you know, that I got kids out. Um, and and I I always had parents say, you know, they, they'd always look at me so funny when I would have that meeting with them and say, well, we're dismissing your child from from uh, the learning disabilities program. And they say, well, well, now wait a minute. You mean he had a learning disability and now he doesn't? <laughs> um, and you know, it it to me it was a flaw in the system, because uh, the system said that this is a condition that your child has. And to me, as a teacher working with these children, it wasn't a condition that the child had. It was a place that the child was in time, and I could help that child. That place in time was always fluid. And I could help that child and get them up out of there. We yeah. need. We definitely. Uh, think uh, should be uh, the goal. I think. <laughs> I, I want think to make sure we got our caller. I'm sorry, you guys. Uh, Sherilyn, did we get all your comments and questions? Sorry. Yeah, I just, I really was very excited about the comments you made, uh, you know, in the transition of children from, from labeling and the special education, just because I think that that has damaged a lot of people that are now yes, adults, I do and we're probably looking at them every day wondering why didn't they live up to their full potential. Yes, mm. absolutely. Uh, helping Great. people reach their full potential, that should be the goal of education, not giving profits to testing companies. I agree. I do fully agree. <laughs> I do. I, I, I have a little I, testimony behind that because I was one of those anxious testers, and I still scored. Mm -hmm. I don't remember my SAT score, but I still scored a 26 on my ACT and was pretty much sitting there in tears, you know, just mm -hmm. having to go through the the process and, and the pressure of time and, you know, all of those things I was thinking. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I remember almost hyperventilating, really. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I always think to this day, you know, how much better could I have done under different conditions? You know, what? Absolutely. And, you know, if what somebody had offered could I you have? opportunity to demonstrate what you could do in a way that you felt comfortable, if they offered you choices, you can demonstrate your your proficiency in writing by writing a poem or your proficiency in uh, writing by writing a song or, you know, whatever way works for you, wouldn't that have been more humane? It would have, and it would have stirred my creativity to another oh. level because another thing as a child I was always anxious about, I'm, I'm outgoing naturally, but I've never liked crowds. And they put you in this room full of people and tell you, okay, now go, you know, do, go, you know, hit the button, you know. And I remember just being even overwhelmed by that. So mm -hmm. when it's so big and so overwhelming and so everything, um, you can be the smartest person in the world and not thrive in that setting. And well, look at Albert Einstein. Do well at he was, uh, exactly. They, perfect example. Yeah, in point <laughs> <laughs> case in point for sure 
So that's kind of how I, and my grandmother was a teacher, never once asked me if I'd done my homework, never, you know, because I was just assumed smart. I did what I needed to do. Everybody was proud of me, but had I been placed in a different environment, I would have certainly probably um, done much better is, is what mm-hmm. I feel. And I, and I sometimes resent that. I, I do mm-hmm. that. No one challenged me or gave me the right environment to, 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 oh. um, Find my way, if you will. Yes, and what breaks my heart is that these children who are in school right now enduring this stage in our political uh, evolution of the country, are, their childhood is going on, and we are robbing them of their childhood by the way that we're educating them right now. We are. You're right. But in answer to Tammy's question, I, I did put everything out there that I was, you know, trying to share and ask and, you know, mm-hmm. all that. So I, if there was somebody else whose turn it was, I'm fine, Tammy. I just wanted to share that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, well, you guys, we're going so to do, do something that I've been saying I was going to do for such a long time now, and I always get so caught up in the show and just, love what's happening until I forget to play commercials. But I have one that I would love to take to play. So we're going to take a quick break. Um, it is about a minute, a uh, minute or so, give or take some. I think you better give a little bit more than take, though. So it's about a minute long. And this is in support of someone that that really has, uh, is just making some things happen Um Against all odds, I would say. So let's take a quick break, if you guys don't mind. So Ms. Garrett, Rodney, if you want to take a quick break, get you some water or something, and we'll be right back. So you guys listen in, and we'll be right back. The smash hit, crowd-pleasing, there are no good men because there are no good women, is back by popular demand for a second run. Author and playwright Lori Hardy produced and directed this high-energy performance. Based on true events, There Are No Good Men Because There Are No Good Women tells a captivating story of relationships between men and women and their wrong choices. The play's message is timeless, and the incredible cast transports the audience right into their world. You don't want to miss the second run of this magnificent performance, which is scheduled to be featured October 31st through November 2nd at Center Stage, located 1665 Quincy in Naperville, Illinois. Showtimes for Friday and Saturday, 7 p.m. Sunday performance, 3 p.m. Ticket prices are $25 for adults, $20 for senior and handicap. Please note, if you purchase your ticket at the door, there will be an additional $5 charge. Tickets can be purchased by visiting eventbrite.com. Enter in the search engine. There are no good men because there are no good women. Please support this magnificent play and honor Lori Hardy. Thank you, and back to the Butterfly Evolution Radio Show. Okay, not so bad. It's been a long time since we've had a commercial. I'm going to try to do more more of that. 
So, uh, Rodney, uh, Mr. Garrett, are you, are you guys here with us? Yep. I'm here. I have another question um, that I want to ask Ms. Garrett, and uh, feel free, callers, if you're listening um, on uh, on the phone or you're listening online, feel free to jump in here and uh, ask any questions or make comments about the question I'm about to ask, and that is, According to our nation's report card, Ms. Garrett, in 2013, only 26% of our high school seniors tested at grade level in math, and and, I'm sorry, 38% tested at grade level in reading. My my problem with not only the fact that these are such low proficiency rates, but these are high school seniors that we're talking about that who are not on grade level. They're not in third or fourth grade where we still have a chance with them. They're in they're in the final year of, of high school. We're getting ready to send them off into either the workforce. We're sending them to college. We're sending them to the military. We're, we're getting ready to send them out into the world where the world is not going to be so friendly to them, yet they are not prepared. My question is, who is to blame for this problem? Well, I think that uh, um, one is that the the rating system is, is rigged, like I said before. Um, but the second thing is that the emphasis on testing is actually killing any love of learning that could be going on. Um, you know, if you if you try to imagine a school system where um, uh, love of learning was really fostered and students had some mechanism for pursuing things that interested them, uh, I think we would have a completely different picture. Um, it's this emphasis on testing, which, uh, like I said, is taking up a lot of instructional time. Um, so we're losing instructional time, and we're killing a love of learning. So um, that's that's who I blame. The lawmakers. Yes. That's why I'm okay. going. That's why I'm running. Okay. <laughs> I want to change it. Okay, okay. Uh, Tim, who do you think is at fault here? And I, <laughs> and then, and then I also who I, who I think is to blame. Who do you think is at fault here, Tammy? Um, wow. I, I'm going to put it on all of us, including myself, you, you guys, because especially parents, because I think we should be more concerned about what is going on in the classrooms and who is. Who, who is in control of what is going on. And, and we, I think we realize that teachers don't have the control um, that, we, that we so often um, lead ourselves to think because we kind of blame a lot on, on the teachers. We kind of miss those people who are sitting up high and, think, and throwing things low, so to speak. So I, I think we all are. Lawmakers probably are, are probably their hands are, are the most dirty because they have the most, control over what happens, but again, we, we we can throw that right back out as parents and as citizens, we can, we can, we can come together and do more at home, yeah. in the school, and every place. 
here's what I've seen over the past, I'm going to say months, is there is outrage from the public, things get done. You think about Ray Rice, and we talked about that situation a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Rice was not suspended from from the NFL or let go from the Baltimore Ravens because of what he did. Ray Rice was suspended because of all of the outrage from the public because mm-hmm. on social media, Facebook, Twitter, people were just going bananas about the fact that here's this guy who, you know, there's this video, he struck his um, he struck his, his then-fiancé, and he was only suspended two games, and then they made the point about, um, you know, how people get uh, suspended for more games, you know, for, for smoking marijuana. And so because there was so much outrage from from the public, the NFL came back and said, oh, we got it wrong. And then, you know, here's this other video, which I, I believe that they, they had already seen it. But they said, oh, now we have, we're just going to get rid of him. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm going I, to, I have this question in my mind, which is not, where's the outrage about uh, what's going on in education right now? Well, well, see, here's the thing. Where is the outrage? (laughs) But but here's the thing. As long as people allow themselves to be ignorant as to what is really going on in our schools and in our classrooms, Mm -hmm. there's not going to be an outrage because we've touched on it a number of times tonight. What's going to continue to happen is we're going to keep seeing these reports that are coming from people that, that really don't know what's going on and so it's going to keep being put back on the teachers. No one is looking at the lawmakers. No, no one is looking at the people in charge. So mm-hmm. we have to do what you're doing, Ms. Garrett, and that is running for office, uh, trying, to, trying to, to shake things up a little bit. But we also have to do a better job um, as, as teachers and just as, as parents, as, as citizens, we have to do a better job of getting the word out there and letting people know what's actually happening. Last week I had a, I had a golden opportunity to uh, serve as a panelist at uh, Al Sharpton's Education Summit at NYU, and it was, it was amazing to me how when it was over, the people wouldn't even let me off the stage. And they kept <laughs> We're so glad that you were here. We're so glad that we actually had someone talking about education that's in the classroom, that knows what what is going on, and that is able to put the truth out there and that is not afraid to put the truth out there. The people I was sitting on the panel with, I thought that they were great. I thought that they had good comments. But the problem was, None of them are in a classroom, and if they were ever in a classroom, it was a long time ago. So oh. What's going on now? But mm-hmm. everyone yeah, has well, I'm, I'm just so glad, uh, Rodney, that you're doing what you're doing because um, you're getting the word out there, um, and that's what teachers have to do. 
we have to speak up on behalf of the children because the if the parents know, then the, the outrage will come. But yes. as long as the teachers keep quiet and just continue to try to cope with the ever-shifting ground under their feet, um, uh, they'll just continue to blame the teachers for the situation. Um, but the situation is real bad, and it needs to be reformed. Yes, absolutely. And I'm going to say this, and then we have some comments coming from the from the chat room that I'll read uh, uh, here on the air. Um, and, and that is, I'm sure you've seen this and heard this too, Ms. Garrett. Teachers complain all of the time. But here's where they complain. They complain in the teacher's lounge and they complain at happy hour where no one who, who is in charge can hear them. They'll get mm-hmm. right in front of the school board, get right in front of the administrators, and it's yes, sir, no, ma'am. And they keep them going. But people are so afraid that if they speak up, teachers are so afraid that if they speak up, they'll that, lose their jobs. So, yeah, I know. Their job. and, and, and when I published my, my second book recently in June, and, and people read it, there were, there were people that, that, that asked me, aren't you afraid that you're going to lose your job? And I looked at them and said, no, because you can read my book. You don't know, you don't know um, where that's coming from because my book is not just about my experiences as a teacher. My My book is about, it's called From the Heart of a Teacher, but it's from the heart of all teachers, and that's one thing that people could agree with me on. And I'm going to read these comments coming from the chat room real quick. And uh, uh, Ms. Garrett, feel free to comment on them. And it says, much like most things, when it impacts money, it encourages change. And then it says, until the consequences create a threat to jobs, funding, or accreditation, there is no urgency. What do you think about those uh, comments, Ms. Garrett? Well... I don't know. I think hmm, I don't know. I think that if we what we need to do is not worry about that, but we need to to get the word out to the parents because the parents that I have talked to are outraged by the situation. And I think if the parents stand up and you and you you got to understand also that and on anybody that's listening to this if you're unhappy with the situation now's the time to contact your legislators because they're all worried about their reelections yes you know <laughs> they are that is, that is very um, true so uh it's it's a really good time to get a group of people and go and talk to uh, legislators and tell them how mad you are. You know, you don't have to worry about whether you're going to lose your job or not. Just go and talk to your legislators. They're not going to take your job away. We we had a uh, we had a teacher on um, a few months ago uh, down in uh, the Charlotte Mecklenburg area in North Carolina. Uh, who uh, sent a um, a nice email to um, you know one of the uh, lawmakers in her state, and his response to her was to go and find another job. 
And, yeah. And, and, yeah, nice. And nice. ask for and see if that job will pay her uh, for 10 weeks uh, uh, paid summer vacation. And it's like, see, that goes to show how much he knows because we're not paid for the summer. We're oh. paid for 10 months. It's just stretched out over 12. We don't get paid for right. the summer. That's right. Yep, and we we keep getting flack about that. And, you know, I, uh, I'd like to challenge anybody to who thinks that it's just a great thing to to get the the summers off to work as hard as we work all year long and we you know we have certain hours that we're supposed to be there but we put in a lot of overtime at home and on the weekends um and if we didn't have that summer to to do two things to recharge and to to do a lot of work that you just can't do during the school year because you're scrambling so fast. Um, it it would be it would be a very difficult job and people would burn out a lot faster. I so. can tell you I can tell you I sleep <laughs> for a long time that first month uh, after school lets out. It's, mm-hmm. it's like. I can't get out of the bed until about two or three o'clock in the afternoon, and then I'm right back in the bed at nine o'clock because I'm just that mm-hmm. exhausted. And yeah. that's the first, the first four weeks of summer vacation, because mm-hmm. it is, it is a very, if you care, if you care, I will, mm-hmm. I will throw that in there. Yes. And I think, and I think most teachers do. I do it too. Is, it, it is a very taxing job. Mhm. And and just about every day this school year we uh we dismiss at two forty five and I haven't left until six o'clock. Oh yeah. And I have to make myself leave. Uh-huh. And just say what I I'm just gonna stop right here for the day mm-hmm. and I'll pick it back up tomorrow. Yeah, and then it's always what you could have done if you'd stayed all night. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and one of my teammates I lie to you not. She is there until eight or nine o'clock every night, mm-hmm. just because our school is accredited with warning in reading, and so the state has put a lot of pressure on our school division because of that, and in turn, mm-hmm. they put a lot of pressure on um, our, our school, and, and you know that's led to pressure on our teachers. And it has just been unbearable for um, for the teachers. Um, yeah. You know, well, so. That, and to me, that's just so heartbreaking. Uh, last year, you know, I, I said that I'm on the executive council in my union. Um, uh, so I'm, I talk to people who um, are having problems um, and Last year we had a, a teacher who was in the end of his second year of teaching, and um, he was just debating about whether to stay in teaching. And he's a good teacher, um, but it's just so hard, and it's just gotten to be so unbearable. Um, and uh, people have gone to four-year college to get a degree to be a teacher and then you come out and it's just such a hard hard 
way to make a living. Yeah. We need to make it better. We need to make it better. You know, in Finland, um, they supposedly have the best educational system in the world, um, and their teachers are paid better than their doctors and their lawyers. It's very prestigious to be uh, a teacher there. Um, And they don't send their children home with hours and hours of homework every night, by the way. Um, but I think that we should be looking around the world and finding examples of excellence so that we can learn from them. Um, if teachers in this country were treated better and paid better, uh, guess what? We'd probably get a better result, a much better result. It's you know if you send a children into a classroom with a teacher that's very stressed, that stress is translated to the children. Um, it may be subliminal, but it's transmitted to the children. This is Tammy. You guys, I have a question for you both. How would a parent or a concerned citizen find out um, what test? are being given and when and and maybe why? Like who would be the first person to approach or uh, about that? Would it be your local school system, your teacher or the principal? But if you wanted to find out on a school-wide base, not just a school, what, what would be the protocol for that? Do you know? Yeah, if you wanted to find out um, what your own child is getting, um, tested, you would go to your own teacher, you know, that teacher would be able to tell you that information. Um, But if you wanted to know school-wide, you'd probably go to the principal because they would know um, what all tests are given at at the various grade levels. Okay. It's the the same thing uh, here, Tammy. Um, if If the parents want to see the test, um, I believe that they, you know, they can come in for a conference and maybe take a look at the test, but um, they're not allowed to, like, take it home or, you know, uh, they don't get a copy of the test. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and with our standardized test here, with our SOLs here in Virginia, um, supposedly no one sees these uh, the test until the day that the test um, are administered. I know uh, me as a teacher, I don't see the test until um, the students actually log it, log um, log on to the computer and and start the test. That's the first time I see the test. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Well, and uh, I don't I don't know how it is in Virginia, but here with at the upper grades when they are given these tests. Uh, the standardized tests on the computer, we never get back any of the information about what the students passed and what they they failed, what items on the test. Uh, we just get back scores. Um, so it'll have, for example, a language arts score um, or a writing score or whatever, a reading score, but it doesn't tell you what the child did well and what the child didn't do well. Um, so they're just phantom scores. And it really, you know, they talk about uh, data-driven instruction, 
But if you're not getting the specifics back from the data, how is it going to help anything? It isn't. The only thing that the only thing that we get, um, or that the school gets, and they share it with us, is, um, you know, th- there's an overall analysis for all of the kids in the school or all of the kids in a particular grade, um, but it doesn't tell you, um, you know, what each kid. Uh, strengths are or weaknesses. It just gives you the scores. Ours, ours mm-hmm. very, Those are phantom scores. Right, right. Ours, so ours is ours is very similar, um, and it's hard to like like you said earlier. Um, and once again, because um, we've had quite a few people to join um, join in with us, um, we are uh, talking to uh, Miss Janet Garrett, who is in Oberlin, Ohio, and. Uh, this is her, her last year teaching after 35 years. Um, she's retiring, but she is not leaving education. She is not leaving the kids behind. She is definitely going to uh, make a make a bigger impact. Uh, she's running for Congress, um, so we wish her well. But um, what, what what's um, what's happening in our in our schools? Um, is just disturbing with this testing. And so uh, for those of you who uh, maybe missed part of the show, um, we would like to strongly encourage you to go back and listen to some of the things that have been said because I guarantee you it will light a fire underneath you and make you want to spread the word. It will make you want to write a a letter to your legislator. It will make you want to go um, to the school board meetings because – our children are getting a disservice. We are losing good teachers year after year. If if they have enough years to retire, they're they're, they're retiring. If they don't have enough years, um, if they're young and maybe you know a few years of experience, they're finding other they're finding other careers because it is just that toxic um, here in the United States. So it, it it's gone from a a profession that um, people used to admire, people used to respect, and now it's just, you know, we we used to hear about pay all the time, where teachers don't make a lot of money. But I can I can promise you, it is far worse. And there are so many other things going on within our schools, with, within our system, that are far worse than the the, the, the money that that teachers are being paid. And one of them, I think, is what, what Ms. Garrett said earlier a few times, and that is there's no love for learning anymore. Right. Yeah, and that's that's the most heartbreaking part. You know, I, and I'm not saying that the schools used to be fabulous and now they're terrible. I think there's always room for improvement. Um, I know when I was in school, um, I – I had some teachers that were pretty terrifying. I'm sure everybody's got some horror stories, but everybody's also got some stories of teachers that really inspired and changed their lives. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I, I disagree that teachers are not liked. I, I, I think that people generally do like teachers. Um, as I'm out on the stump, um, I always lead with, Hi, my name is Janet Garrett. I'm a teacher, and I'm running for Congress. 
and I find that I get people's attention and they smile um, because, uh, first of all, they like teachers and they don't like politicians. <laughs> so they uh, they see that I'm a teacher and I'm running for office um, and they know that I'm a person that is a caring person. So I think it makes a difference. Okay. Sammy? Yes. I'm just Sammy. listening. I'm here, I'm here, Rodney. Um, I'm just listening and taking it all in and very thankful for the both of you because although I don't have a child in the school system, I have, I, I really, really have a love, a genuine love and concern about what is going on in this world, in the school systems, and I believe as parents, as aunts, as grandparents, whatever you are, we we have to stop and take the control back. We have great teachers. Um, we have some that, that I agree need to go, and we have some that we need to just make sure that they stay and we, mm-hmm. we help in getting them what they need to be able to do what they love to do. I think anybody that decided, for the most part, most of those who decided to go into this profession of teaching, somewhere they have a love for teaching and a love for children and a love about making change or making a difference in a child's life. I can't imagine being a teacher at at this point in time and trying to work through the politics um, that take place now in the school system. And that the school system is no place for politics. It is no That's place correct. to play games and toss up these mm-hmm. coins and say, let's see if this works all along. When it doesn't, we don't come up with anything different or we don't get anything out of it. You know, when you say a billion dollars, but then I hear kids, it takes three, four months for some kids to get a book that they need to study out of. That has happened this year alone where kids are Mm -hmm. still with books because they're saying they're on back order. But you've ordered these tests with no problem. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, we definitely have got to get politics out of education. But, you know, education touches just about everybody. Um, Everybody either uh, has a child or they're, they've got a grandchild or um, they know somebody that works in a school. Um, it, just about everybody is touched by education. Um, this, is, this is a huge, uh, huge thing in our country. Um, but I did want to talk just for a minute about tenure, if that's all right with you. Absolutely. Go right ahead. Um, Tenure is something that has been talked about a lot in the media lately. I know that there was a big brouhaha on on, on The View a couple weeks ago. Um, I want to tell you that as a person who has been uh, a president of my local, I've been at the bargaining table many times. I know my contract inside and out. Tenure is not something that prevents uh, teachers from being fired. A teacher who is not performing up to uh, snuff uh, 
um, is supposed to be told what they're supposed to get due process. That's what tenure is. Tenure means that the teacher has due process. And honestly, I believe any worker in any workplace should have due process. And what due process means is someone sits you down and says, look, you're not doing your job, and this is what we see the problem as being, and this is what we would like you to do better. And I think that's only humane. I think that that should happen. Um, I have been in a position where a teacher was uh, not doing his job. He was a a middle school um, science teacher. Um, I was the president of the union at the time, Um, and my job was to see that he had due process, that that, that the administrators told him what he was doing wrong, gave him an opportunity to improve when he absolutely refused to stop doing what he was doing, and I'm not going to say what it was because it was ugly, (laughs) I helped to uh, counsel him out as the union president, and he was gone by by the middle of the year. And that's the way it should be. Um, A person should be given a chance to improve. But if they don't improve, they should be gone. No one wants bad teachers. Other teachers don't want bad teachers. Um, Bad teachers are, uh, of course, most of all, they're bad for kids, but they're also bad for other teachers because they make our our job harder and they make us all look bad. So Mm -hmm. nobody wants bad teachers. But I I wish people would stop going around saying that if a teacher has tenure, that means they can't be fired because it isn't true. That is that that's a that's a good point, and, and you know what I've I've never heard anyone put it that way. Um, but but to add to what you just said, um, our our former president, yeah, he retired um, of the National Education Association. Um, uh, Dennis Van Roekel, he um, and our um, rep- representative assembly this past uh, July in Denver, he said that someone asked him about merit pay, and he said that he doesn't believe in merit pay. And they said, well, don't you think that good teachers should get paid more than bad teachers? And he said, absolutely not. He said, I don't think bad teachers should get paid at all. Yeah. And he said, yeah, if we took if we took the necessary measures to to make sure that all of our teachers were effective, then there's no conversation about merit pay anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, I, yeah, uh, I'm we, glad you brought up merit pay because I have an opinion about that too. <laughs> <laughs> merit, I think, is a real bad idea. Um, and I say that as a teacher who normally gets really high scores, my my kids normally get really high scores, so if there was merit pay, I would probably be a recipient of it. But I don't want merit pay, and I'll tell you why. It pits teacher against teacher. Um, mm-hmm. We want we want teachers to be working together as a team. We want teamwork. We don't want teachers working against each other. But the worst thing about merit pay is um, the way it's always been. When um, 
you know, a child comes along and this child has got problems and um, a teacher will say, well, sure, give that child give that child to me. I'll do the best I can with him. But now if you've got merit pay, you've got this troubled child, you don't really want that child in your classroom because it's going to affect your paycheck. And, you know, even if you can't help yourself, you're going to start to resent that child. That should never, ever be the case. Yeah. That That is, that is true. To me, what that's you- the reason for not having merit pay because of what it will do to the student and teacher relationship should never happen okay Sammy I'm here Um, I have a question about the tenure I want to go back a little bit and maybe I'm I'm going by um, what I've kind of seen so when when teachers have tenure, help me understand, you're saying that that because what I've seen with teachers with tenure, it seems as though, and maybe this is just a school-by-school school thing, um, I've seen some teachers with tenure that should not only have gotten fired, they should have been, like, kicked out the door. I mean, put mm-hmm. out. Sure. Right. I mean, so well, what, yeah. is that Heard just a school-by-school kind of thing? fuss and moan saying that teachers that have tenure can't be fired. But the the thing is, it's in the contract, and it says these are the steps for getting rid of a teacher that has tenure. It's in the contract. And the only reason that the administrators fuss and moan about this is because they don't want to go through the steps. You know, they they would rather just fire the person than actually sit down and work with them and say, look, this is what you're doing wrong. It's hard. It's hard. I know it's hard because I've done it. It's hard to sit down and have a real heart-to-heart talk with somebody and say, this is what you're doing wrong, and this is what I want you to do better. Um, I had uh, I had about five years ago, I had a student teacher in my class who was really not teacher material. And I um, I had a heart-to-heart with this kid every night after school. And I felt like I was beating the snot out of him, uh, figuratively, of course, not literally, <laughs> um, because I was trying to make it clear to him. I wanted him to understand why he wasn't going to get a teaching certificate at the end of the year. I wanted him to understand it. And but because I was clear with him and because I was direct and because I kept saying it over and over again, this kid improved so dramatically that he actually made it up over this incredibly high bar that I set for him. So, you know, taking that the time to communicate with people and tell them what they're doing wrong is a valuable thing and it's uh it's humane. Um it's humane not only to the teacher but it's humane to the children in the classroom. So, um the the administrators to go around fussing saying that they can't uh, 
fire a teacher because they have tenure. They're just not doing their job. Mm. Wow. Okay, that's good to know. (laughs) (laughs) I am am serious. That is good to know. That that was a big deal um, uh, the past few months out in California. Um, with this whole with this whole tenure ruling, um, they ruled it one way, and then they came back and said something else. And um, I think you made a great point, Ms. Garrett, in that it's just about going through the going through the process. Um, yeah. So and, what and, what what oh, happens now with the teachers out in California? They are not allowed to have due process anymore. So that means that somebody can fire them and they will lose their job and never know what they did wrong. Is that right? I don't think so. Oh, no, not at all. Not at all. And that's my, that's my, my, my concern with, um, with, with taking away tenure, and that is you think about it, like take you, for example, uh, with 35 years of experience, and – you know, let's say at year 30, they know that you're a great teacher. They know that, you know, you're an effective teacher. The, the numbers are there to prove it. But, well, we can bring someone in for a whole lot less money, and she's getting ready to leave anyway. Mm-hmm. They can do that if there's no tenure, and they don't that's, have to justify mm-hmm. why they're getting rid of you. And, right. and that's uh, And all the experience that, you yeah. know, <laughs> All the experience is gone. Yes, just because well, we can bring someone in, and we know we know how it works. Mm-hmm. We know how it works, and and and, and no one's going to be able to have a career as a teacher anymore because they'll get up high enough on the pay scale that somebody will just chop them off at the knees because they have uh, gotten too expensive. Oh yeah, yeah. Yep. I think that's why it's so important that that tenure is there. But mm-hmm. I don't know about um, Ohio, and you can shed some light on this, but here in Virginia, um, teachers are on probation their, uh, their first three years. And during that time, you know, administrators are supposed to, you know, really evaluate them, you know, observe them numerous times and, you know, see what's going on. If they, you know, if they feel like they can uh, help them, then you know, maybe put them on an improvement plan. Or if the teacher is just, you know, like if 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 it's not for them, and the administrator can clearly see that, and they don't think that, you know, there's anything that they can do, um, or they try after the first year, they they put a plan in place to try to help the teacher. In the second year, it's still not getting done. They can actually let the teachers go, mm-hmm. but you know that does not happen. And then we get into what you were talking about, where it's not that they can't fire the teachers; they don't want to go through the process. So now yeah. we have this teacher who's who's ineffective, but they're not going anywhere. The, the only thing that might happen is they might get transferred. Um, or I've seen how I've is seen that going to help anybody? <laughs> True. Well, I've also seen situations where uh, the teacher is ineffective, and so the principals cover it up 
by well, I'll just give them all of the high kids, and then I'll take the the the, the kids who are below grade level, and I'll give them to um, I'll give them to, to to the really good teachers, and that way it'll all balance out. I have seen that um as well and heard that, and I just don't think that any of that is helping our profession. No, it isn't. Nope. <laughs> okay. We have about eight we have about eight minutes. Um anything you want to uh say as we as we begin to close it out? Well, you know, I have got um I've got something that you might be interested in hearing. I've got a I wrote my top ten list of things that I say to kindergartners frequently that I hope I don't have to say in Congress. Would you like to hear this? Yes, ma'am. Go ahead. Okay. All right. So uh, top ten things I hope I, I, that I say frequently in kindergarten that I hope I don't have to say in Congress. Number ten, take your <laughs> hand out of your pants. Number nine, don't put that in your mouth. Number eight, please get a tissue. Number seven, stop arguing. Number six, treat others the way you would want to be treated. Number five, be respectful. Number four, be considerate of others' feelings. Number three, we have to share. Number two, Let's have one person talk at a time. And the number one thing I have to say frequently in kindergarten that I hope I don't have to say in Congress, don't make things up and go around telling people that they're true. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Okay. That was good. Yeah, we had a good old time making up that list. I was talking to my colleagues, and we just were screaming, laughing, making that up. <laughs> well, I heard you never had to you, say you that. noticed they started out pretty so. These these really are things that I say to kindergartners, and um, the but the last one is pretty darn serious. Yeah. <laughs> where are well, you in the I, process, the spirit of of running? Like where where are you in the process? Um, of running, how is that going? Uh, well, I'm pretty darn busy all the time. Um, I've got things going on. I'm I'm teaching full time, of course, and I'm uh, busy every night after school, going to different events. Um, on the weekends, I'm busy all the time. Um, next week, all week long, I'm going to be debating my opponent. Um, at different places around in the district. The district is 14 counties, um, and uh, a lot of it is pretty rural. It was gerrymandered. Um, It kind of looks like a duck. Um, I'm up in the bill of the duck, and so uh, a lot of the places are pretty far away. Um, It takes me about probably three hours to get to the farthest point away in the district, three hours drive. Um, so uh, got a, I, I've got a lot of volunteers and people that are real enthusiastic, and 
um, my opponent is uh, a Tea Party extremist um, who is very much in favor of um, uh, charter schools and vouchers and um, just about anything that would do damage to public education. So um, I'm not a fan. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Well, I have enjoyed this. Um, Rodney, I'll turn it back over to you to to close out. Um, Thank everybody for listening, and I've just enjoyed it and learned quite a bit and uh, would like to know more about some of the the, like the Common Core and the, some of the other things you guys mentioned about um, kind of what's going on in the testing. So that's another thing I'll add to my list and try to try to put out there to parents and, and our community here as well to, to get more involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, the parents really need to step up and um, make their voices heard and, and let the school districts know that they want um uh, more quality and less testing. More quality and less testing. Yep. I'd like to find out how much money has been spent for our system. Yeah, it would be an interesting question to ask your school board. How much money does the school district spend out of their total budget on standardized testing? All right. I'm going to go ask that question. Mm-hmm. I'll report back. Okay, good. I think you should go on a campaign to get at least one teacher from every state to run for office. After you get in, you should start that campaign selecting the best person for that state. Um, Yeah, well, you know, I was at a a, a rally in Washington in the summer. Um, I don't know if you have ever heard of the Badass Teachers Association. I have a of teachers that are fed up with the, um, especially the testing, but the way that the, the direction that education is going right now. But there was a rally, um, and there were three three teachers there, myself included, who are all running for Congress. Rodney, are you a part of that organization? <laughs> oh, I told you, no, I'm not. I'm not a part of that organization, but I, but I will. I will share this um, as, as, as we close out. Um, since um, I, I, the, the past few weeks, um, I, I've been very busy uh, with different things uh, pertaining to my book or, or pertaining to education. And someone asked me, was I planning to, you know, eventually run for an office? And, and I say, you know, like that wasn't my plan behind, you know, doing all of these things, and that, you know, wasn't my goal. But it made me think, and so mm-hmm. I, I can definitely see that coming uh, down the road. I don't know if I would start with the school board or with the city council, um, but I'm definitely um, uh, thinking about it now, just because I think it's so important um, yeah. for teachers to get involved so that it doesn't um, so, so that we get the politics out of school because we understand what yeah, politics we need, we need teachers in government so I, I encourage you to run <laughs> yeah. yeah so I mean I, I um, 
um, it was definitely something on my mind. And 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 funny thing, um, someone uh, told me uh, along the way. Some someone uh, told me uh, that I should not run because it's not going to make a difference because I would just keep getting voted uh, voted out or voted down. So you know, every time there's a vote, I would always you know, it would be one against however many other people because I would share, I would have, um, you know, different views than the other people. Well, you know what, that's why we need more and more and more teachers. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I, I could not agree with uh, that. Uh, I, I couldn't agree, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, I, I think that we do need more teachers, um, or even even parents, just people mm-hmm. who are aware of what's going on, people who are knowledgeable, and people who who care. Um, I think we definitely uh, have to continue to uh, to build and, and and to keep pushing forward. Absolutely. Wow. Uh, I will say this um, as my as my final uh, remarks. Um, again, uh, Mrs. Gary, thank you so much for for uh, for coming on um, and, and speaking with us. This has been a very informative show. Um, this was not the watered down version about education that you get on TV or that you get on uh, some of these radio programs. This was the truth uh, spoken by an experienced educator uh, who, has, who has seen uh, just decades of um, in education and has seen a tremendous decline and wants to do something about it. So what we need to do, for those of you who, who tune in tonight, People can always go back and listen to the archive show, and I think that they need to do that. Monday Night Football is not that important, and Tammy, I'm so glad you put that on on Facebook. I can care less about what's going on in the NFL when there are millions of children across this country that aren't reading on grade level or who don't have an interest in school because of the toxic environment. Create uh, mm-hmm. people who just don't know uh, what they need, and so this was the most important thing that I could have done tonight. And so I'm glad and grateful that I got a chance to be a part of it. Um, good, I say good night to everyone, and we'll see you back here next Monday, Tammy. I'm turning it back over to you. All right, I. Thank you, Ms. Garrett, as well, and, and keep us posted on your progress. And if it's, if it's anything that we can do to help promote, um, please share with us. Let us know. We'd be glad to do that here. We have listeners from all over. Um, we've had some people listen from Ohio. I don't know if they continue to listen, but if there's anything that you think we can do here, please let us know, and I encourage all of our listeners to start where you are, start with your child's school, start by asking that question, start by going to your PTA meetings, your your school board meetings, start asking the questions about the standardized testing and how is it helping and all those questions, 
think of some questions, share it with us so that we can put it out there as well. So I just want to challenge everyone to do more, to start where you are, but start. So with that being said, good luck on your runnings, and, and we look forward to hearing about your success. So thanks again for being a part of the Butterfly Evolution Show. We want to thank all our listeners again. And we will see you back here same time next Monday for our next show. And as we end, this goes out to my faithful cousin in Atlanta. It's always good to have family support. She's been with me from day one, and I just show my love by playing this song to end out our show. Thank you all, and have a great, great night. Thank you so much. Thank you.
always, thank you for tuning in to the Butterfly Evolution Show. We want to thank one of our faithful listeners, Diane from the ATL, for listening. You guys have a great, great night.